the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hi, this is Kevin McCullough. Thanks for listening to the Christian Outlook podcast, where we cover today's issues from a perspective that honors your Christian faith. Our podcast is brought to you through a partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy and ADF, Alliance Defending Freedom. Here's another piece I trust you'll enjoy. When it comes to corporate activism... We think, okay, so is that the activism of people who work for corporations, the people who run corporations, or the people who vote at shareholder meetings? Well, it's an interesting topic and one that the president himself has been weighing in on lately. To talk about that and much more, our good friend Jerry Boyer is with us. Jerry is the editor of Town Hall Finance. Jerry, welcome back. Thanks, Kathy. How are you doing? Good. Always good to hear from you, Jer. Always good, Jer. Hey, Jer, okay, so uh, of course you're no stranger to this. Uh, when when COVID-19 started to hit and, of course, uh, George Floyd protests started to take place, I think all of us, we started to get messages from corporate America in our inbox making statements about where we are in America. To me, this was a weird thing, but it feels as though it's becoming increasingly normal to all of a sudden have corporate America act as though corporate activists. Yes. So in that case, the corporations would be the activists, like corporations are acting as social activists. Um, now, why are they doing that? Well, partly they're doing it because they're being poked by, you know, by political activists. And so they're afraid um, they don't want to be tagged as evil in some way. In this case, uh, the, the, you know, the accusation would be that they're racist or they don't want to be tagged as bad for the environment or intolerant of gay people or whatever the issue is that's being pushed. So it's, it's really interesting. I mean, these companies are gigantic. They're huge, right? Uh, you know, trillion, we're talking about trillion dollar companies in many cases. Um, and it's almost like a bull that's led around by the nose, by a little nose ring that's pulled by a child. Uh, in the sense that the people who are driving the agenda are not large groups of people. There are not a lot of people who are, say, into the philosophy of Black Lives Matter, the organization. There are a lot of people who believe Black Lives Matter. Absolutely. I would hope everyone does. Um, I, I would think the majority of people do. But BLM has a certain ideological agenda. Um, so there are not a lot of people who believe that we need to shut down all use of fossil fuels because it would send us back to the, the Stone Age. But we, we have companies saying we're going to stop using fossil fuels. There aren't a lot of people who are lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender or queer. Not a lot of trans people. And yet we have companies ba- basically being kind of pulled around the say, open up their bathrooms to someone of the other gender. And so what is it? How is it that such small groups of people are uh, you know, able to sort of jerk around these giant companies? And I would suggest it's because they show up and the rest of us don't. Um, and that's the thing that I'm trying to reverse, which is to get in particular Christians, people who are grounded in the Bible, 
to begin to take seriously the fact that we've got 401ks or 403bs or IRAs, whatever your deal is. Uh, You've got your retirement account, and in there are stocks, and those are shares of stocks, and that makes you the owner, and that makes you the boss. So start bossing a little bit. Start actually using the authority that you already have rather than essentially completely seeding that ground and letting pretty extreme voices essentially dominate the corporate discussion. Fabulous. Okay, so then we do have voices, right? If we have money invested in the market, there's an opportunity for us to speak up as well, especially to espouse and speak about the, our Christian worldview. Now, uh, Jerry, in a piece that uh, you wrote, you're talking about the Trump administration from the other side of the aisle going after corporations as well, right? Yeah, and they're doing a couple of things. One, they're saying if you're a social media company, um, you're an internet company, you were under a set of rules. And those set of rules were, hey, you're just a soapbox. So if somebody stands up on a soapbox and says um, something really stupid, someone stands up on a soapbox and says, smoking is just terrific for your lungs, and it turns out that's not true and you know it wasn't true, you can sue them, right? But you can't sue the soapbox. You know, know, the soapbox was just stood upon, right? If somebody calls you and gives you bad advice, um, you can sue them perhaps, but you can't sue the phone company. They're just a carrier. They're neutral. So early on, Internet companies, Internet service providers were treated as neutral. They're just uh, they're just the um, they're just the air. There's just the ether through which the message flows. They're not part of the message. It's not like a newspaper where you pick and choose articles. Newspapers are responsible for what they publish. But Facebook and Twitter were considered not really responsible for what they publish. The problem is they start coming in and they put their thumb on the scale. They pick and choose based on whether they like the message or not. They might say it's about safety or whatever or fact check, but they fact check in a fact check in a biased way, which means they have an editorial point of view, which means that they really aren't just a soapbox. They're making choices. They have an editorial stance. They're now communicators. They're now publishers, in which case, why should they be under this special protection from lawsuits that other publishers who take a point of view are not? And the Trump administration wants to reverse that and say, listen, if you side with one over another and you delist someone because he's a conservative or you, a great example would be Dennis Prager. Um, he was punished on YouTube and it's it basically uh, marked in a way that says unsafe for children and harder to monetize, right? That this is, this was, there was a sanctioning of Dennis Prager's, one of Dennis Prager's YouTube videos. Well, what was it? Well, violent content. Okay. You know, you want to know what the violent, he asked, what's the violent content? And they said, you talk about murder in the video. The, the video was about the 10 commandments. And so one of the commandments is thou shalt not murder. And he read that commandment and described what it meant. It certainly was not a violent video game. It wasn't, you know, gory or anything like that. It's just, yes, the Ten Commandments mention murder. So reading the Ten Commandments on YouTube gets punished as inappropriate content for children because it has violent uh, content. Now, come on. Everybody knows that, that what was going on there, right? The president said some stupid things. I'm sorry. I you know people love. He said some things that I thought were kind of foolish um, about sending troops into city into cities, which you know I don't think he can legally do. And they said he's advocating violence. Well, first of all, he's the president. President actually has legal authority for to use violence. I mean, that's the definition of the state. It's the one institution that we allow to use violence. Um, they censored him. But you've got, you know, the one of the kings of Saudi Arabia saying everyone should join us in trying to eradicate the state of Israel. Nothing there. So they have a point of view, and if they have a point of view, then 
the uh, Justice Department is arguing. They can be sued for content because they're no longer a neutral carrier, but they are, in fact, a publisher. Right. And look, Jerry, people are listening to this and they're thinking, well, that that, Jen- that Dennis Prager story can't be real. I mean, you know, YouTube is. isn't doing that because you'd yeah. think that is so far beyond the bounds of common sense that, you know, clearly you're talking, you're spreading some conspiracy theory. Yeah, I know. And, but the thing is, I've seen the documentation itself. I've seen the, the message, yeah. but I even so have my I, own experience, you know, talking to some of these corporations where I've talked to corporations and also to these proxy services, which help the corporations do these issues. And I said, where are you on diversity? And they said, oh, diversity. We're all over diversity, racial diversity, sexual diversity, gender diversity, gender identity diversity. And I said, what about viewpoint diversity? Well, we're not for that. Well, mm-hmm. why not? Well, because we already have diversity. Yes, you have gender and, and sex and, and race diversity, but you don't have viewpoint diversity. Well, why would we have that? Well, for the same reason that you have all the other diversities, because you say diversity is good. Well, you know, start over. Why is diversity good? Well, it's good to have people from different points of view because they think differently. Ah, yes, 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 exactly. Because they think differently. So why <laughs> not have something? Why not have something in the uh, human resources statement or the board that says we are going to actively seek people who think differently? Uh, why would we want that? It's like they're, they're playing dumb intentionally. Um, that's ideological. Um, I mean, it's they, they so if I hadn't seen it myself, if I haven't seen if I hadn't actually seen uh, proxies where everything, every word is exactly the same as something they already passed, except instead of gender, we say viewpoint, just do a search and replace yeah. mm-hmm. on gender and put in or race and put in viewpoint and have them say this is inappropriate for a board vote. This is not a board matter. Uh, and throw, and get it thrown off the ballot. Um, and when it is exactly the same, then I wouldn't have believed it myself. But the ideal, ideological blindness is a form of blindness. Uh, but right. I, I'm not mad at them. I'm mad at us because we, we haven't done anything about it. Okay, okay so th- that brings me to a, to a story, Jerry. And this is going to sound familiar to you, I'm sure. But um, my mom and dad met at the H.J. Hines Company. They both worked there. Um, and my dad worked there, I think when he retired, he'd been there 48 years, almost. Um, so his entire career was at the H.J. Hines Company. My aunt and uncle also both at the H.J. Heinz Company. So we're like heavy duty, heavy duty into the whole ketchup franchise, right? When it was time for the shareholders meeting every year, everybody I knew went. I mean, it it was a big deal and they paid attention and they knew what was going on. And I have to tell you, I haven't been to a shareholder meeting since I went with my parents probably when I was 25 years old. Of course, there really? isn't an H.J. Hines company as there was before. So I'm not I'm not saying that uh, I'm speaking in specific about that company. I'm just saying that there was a time when we were more committed to the company. Um, now, for them, it wasn't just an investment, though it was. They were personally invested in it, but it was also their employer. But I, I just feel like there was more, I don't know if it was more attention, Jerry, or there was more or time, or I don't know what it was, but people are not willing to put that same effort in now. Yeah, and I think it's more the case as, you, as with, with your parents, where they're employees, and you know, unions will tend to show up, people who have a stake, even suppliers, um, and a lot of times employees show up because there's some kind of stock matching program. So for every um, you know, for every dollar they put into their 401b, then H.J. Hines will put in a dollar of H.J. Hines stock, et cetera. So they become shareholders. But what about everything else that's in your 401k, 
plan, right? I mean, people, if you're in any of the big indices, you probably own, you know, you probably uh, own Twitter. You probably own Facebook. Uh, you probably own Amazon. Amazon made a move um, not too long ago where they have something called the Smile Program, which is if you're an Amazon customer, sure. you can right. push a little button and they can say, what's your favorite charity? Oh, I like, you know, um, you know whatever you like. I, I, you know, I like Salvation Army, et cetera. Um, and then they'll send, every time you buy something, they'll send a little money there. Well, too bad if you like James Dobson and Family Research Council or American uh, Alliance Defending Freedom, which defends people who don't want to bake, bake cakes for gay weddings or supports religious freedom because they were labeled a hate group and Amazon dropped them. And so customers can't choose them anymore. Hmm. Well, if you own Amazon stock, that's your company that did that. Um, and we just don't connect it. We, we are to the point where we know, like, let's say Governor Wolf does something we don't really like, right, or our senator or even the president. We know that we can go out there and cast a vote. I don't think we know that we can go out there and cast a vote when it comes to these companies. We're not aware of it. If you own these companies, they might just send you paperwork and you just throw it away on these proxy statements, or more likely it goes to your financial advisor who throws it away, or even worse, the financial advisor uses one of the two proxy advisory services, which, hey, we'll take care of all that for you, and uniformly votes politically only in one direction. Never, ever. I've been and I've been I've talked for hours with these people. They don't know a conservative. They don't have any conservatives. They haven't heard these arguments. They don't know these arguments existed. It takes like 20 times to even explain it to them because no one has ever even talked to them about this stuff. Um, again, I don't blame them. I blame us. So we delegate to somebody. I mean, imagine if you just delegated your vote. You just say, OK, I'm in the union. You need to vote for me. Right. Or I'm in such and such company. I work for USX. Um, I'll just uh, tick something that says they can vote for me in the next senatorial election. We would never delegate that um, to our employer or our union or a social club or anything else. But we delegate our voting on these things. And no wonder that a you know, tiny fragment of a percent of Americans ends up completely dominating the discussion. Jerry Boyer is with us, editor of Town Hall Finance. So then, Jerry, there is a way then. We as Christians have a voice. We just need to get our act organized. But it starts with us just doing the right thing and making sure we take the proxy vote. It does. You know, just, you know, in the, in the early 1980s, I was driving around with a friend in Pittsburgh, dropping off um, registration forms at churches, uh, saying to Christians, you know, you can vote. Well, we don't know who to vote for. Then we started driving around and dropping off voters' guides. You know, well, here's who, because I don't know what's, what, my, what my congressman thinks about abortion or whatever. So we just need to do the same thing as shareholder citizens. We just need to wake up and, and do that um, because we definitely have the authority. We don't know we have it. We don't, um, it's just, we're not used to thinking in those terms. And we also don't know when there's an issue that's important. So you need resources that say, oh, by the way, you know, this week, Twitter's going to have a vote on whether they're going to protect diversity for employees. Um, you know, because remember, it wasn't so long ago that Google um, did a thing where they said, you know, we need to talk more about diversity. We want to talk about gender diversity. Why is it that there are so few women, you know, positions of Google who are managers in, in coding? We want to hear from you. 
And a guy named James Damore, a very research-oriented oh, guy, yeah. went out and read a whole bunch of papers and, right. and did a whole bunch of social science research. And he came forward and he said, there's a fair amount of evidence that women do not take to coding as easily as men. Not that we should give up, but maybe we should have some extra, we should take that into account um, and, um, you know, make some changes and make it easier and, you know, do what we can to deal with that reality. Uh, and may, maybe, by the way, we should not get, we should get rid of this political monoculture where everyone at Google has to think the same way uh, and they're afraid to speak up. Um, and that would probably help. You know what happened? A paper that he was asked to write was leaked, you know, privately leaked. The mob came after him and he got fired. Now, that's not just a misuse of of authority. It's not just unjust to him. It's not just unjust in general, um, but it's unjust to Google shareholders because basically what it does is it says, you may think you own this company, but this is our own private sandbox and we can fire a good coder just because we don't like his politics, even though that's bad management and we can do it with your money. That's a good point. That's Jerry Boyer. Jerry's editor of Town Hall Finance. Jerry, uh, I mean, for many years we've heard this. Hey, one of these days we're going to make that Supreme Court so conservative that everything that comes down the pike, all conservatives will rejoice. And uh, nice we're gonna try. To, we're going to get back to the Constitution. We're going to get rid of Roe versus Wade. And it's going to be a glorious conservative future if we only vote for the right political candidate in the presidency. Jerry, it hasn't worked out. It has not. No, it, it hasn't. And and you're right. It's it's not just about the judiciary. Right. It's the whole the whole proposition has been, hey, Christians, get out the vote. Uh, this is the most important election of our lifetimes every four years. This is the most important election of our lifetimes. Get out to get out the vote. Tell other people to get out the vote because the president can appoint Supreme Court justices. And, yeah, maybe this president isn't so great or that president isn't so great. But, you know, where they stand on the judiciary matters because we're only two votes away on Roe versus Wade or only one vote away on Roe versus Wade. And so hold your nose and vote and and then it'll all be okay because, you know, we'll have a Republican president and we'll have a Republican Senate and then we'll get, you know, John Roberts or we'll get a Gorsuch, um, you know, we'll we'll get um, you know, fill in the blanks. Um, uh, so we're, we're going to get these, we're going to get this, uh, we're going to get a judge Souter, et cetera. So we're going to get these conservative judges and then we'll reverse reverses Wade. And we've been talking that way since the early 1980s. Um, and this past week, Roe versus Wade came up before the court. John Roberts, chief justice, a Bush appointee, uh, went with the, uh, with the pro Roe versus Wade voices. And by one, we failed to change it. I'm not, I mean, I'm not even talking about a complete reversal. It was the precedent and it was upheld. And maybe at some point we say, sure, yeah, uh, we should vote. Yeah, we should vote for the pro-life candidates. But let's be a little bit more realistic uh, about and we'll stop with all the promises about how we're just about to do it, because that's the way you do to get you do that to get people to give money or you do that to get people to vote. It's like motivational language. It's not if it's a promise, it's a promise been broken, broken many times before. Maybe acknowledge that the secular conservative Republican establishment uh, maybe doesn't have what it takes um, in terms of really inculcating in people the right worldview. So we have yeah. people who pass the conservative test, but they aren't really conservatives. Gorsuch's argument about applying the Civil Rights Act uh, yeah. to gender issue and trans is not conservative. His argument, he, it, was a, it was conservative sounding argument. It is, 
Well, it says there should be no discrimination based on sex. That's what we said in 1964. And the meaning of the word sex has changed. Sex used to be, you know, what the plumbing was. Now, sex is what you identify as. So I'm just applying the language. You know, I can't help it if the words change meaning, maybe even reverse themselves. So that is sex now. When we say sex, we mean uh, you know, sex identity, which no, we don't. A, f- a few people do, but no, we don't. Um, well, I think there's something there where if you have somebody who's really grounded in a Christian worldview, who really, I mean, fears God, you know, is really concerned about the direction of our future and maybe not how they'll be viewed by historians and by the press, um, who is really more philosophically grounded. You know, I hate to bring a, a commercial. You guys just did a Grove City commercial, yes. right? Yeah, right. You know, if somebody was a Grove City grad, Rather than they went to Georgetown Prep, and then they went to Yale, and then they went to Harvard, and then they went to the Federalist Society. But if somebody was really of us, if somebody were really from the places that the people who vote for them, you know, send their kids and are really grounded in a worldview, you know, I think it's a whole lot less that we would see these, uh, this sudden evolution in office as they become, yeah. after they become judges. So – how, how do you, I mean, I don't know. I don't even know. How do you go about this, Jerry? Because apparently, you know, uh, as you vet Supreme Court justices to move forward, they're looking at people with uh, under a microscope. That's I mean, a fool's errand. That's been proven a thousand times. You cannot predict. People are not machines. And you cannot predict how people are going to vote. What do you say, Jerry? I say you can't predict how people are going to vote, but I think you can improve your odds a little bit. So I, for one, as a conservative Christian, would really like us to start fishing in different pools. I'm getting a little tired of the Republican establishment saying, hey, um, you know, Baptists, you know, hey, evangelicals, thanks very much for the vote. Now we're going to go to Ivy League world. Um, we're going to go to somebody, you know, oh, I see. Who's okay. From, who's, okay. So, who's okay. So you're class. saying, so you're saying that the decision makers say evangelicals, regular people in America, thanks for your vote. But when we pick our guy, he has to come from Harvard, Yale or Princeton, or we're not going to waste the time. Yes. And almost always has to come from a family that's a Harvard, Yale, Princeton ruling class family that yeah. made its peace. So it's they're like kind of the loyal opposition. So, you, I mean, you see the same story over and over again. Mm-hmm. They go to the same prep schools. They, you know, they they right. they yeah, winter right. in the same the same places. You know, they're in the same clubs. They go to the same Ivy League universities and then they have a polite conversation uh, over their Shibley about abortion. They're. Yeah. Uh, you know, they're not coming from the same place. There is a culture. There is a community of people who are born and bred on the sanctity of life and in a biblical worldview. And maybe we maybe we need to stop saying, who is it out there who's in the Ivy League world who's from the ruling class, but they say they agree with us? Because, frankly, that's a pretty good career move. Right. <laughs> to say right, you right. agree. And then once you're then once you're on the court, then you kind of move to the center. Um, and become mushy, I think we ought to insist on people who are really known to us, not people that they're saying, well, t- trust us. Right. You know, but, you, uh, you but know, then that, that pool is guys, tiny, Jerry, us. because, I mean, that, that, you know, that ruling class that, you know, Princeton and Ivy League, there's nobody there from a key sport who is stepping forward as part of that pool. Yeah, and there's nobody who's a Baptist. 
you know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not a Baptist, so it's not like I'm saying, hey, I want a Baptist like me, but you know, I'm going to trust a Baptist. So, you know, I'm an Episcopalian, okay? But I'm going to, I'm going to trust a Baptist more than an Episcopalian. <laughs> or maybe if they go to one of those Episcopalian churches that's really conservative, right? And you know, is is kind of there in the midst of things. But you know, that's not what we have. These people come from institutions that the that don't come that the voting base doesn't come from. Have we? Uh, well, I, so I'm serious. What about a Grove City grad or yeah, a right. Hillsdale no, no. grad? Or I, yeah, listen, listen, Jerry. I'm 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 totally I'm totally behind you on this. But here's the thing: our obsession, and by our I mean conservatives' obsessions with the Supreme Court, has been a fool's errand to me for a long time. And so I, I feel like the problem is not just finding better people to pick. But we need to focus, in my mind, more on legislators than on judges. I mean, I just feel like that Congress has become just a whole mass of people that don't do anything. And so maybe out of desperation or maybe just because we have bad strategy or because we think we're smarter than we are, we've decided to put all our eggs in the basket of the judiciary. Your term limits. Absolutely. I agree with that. Um, So nothing I'm saying is contrary to that. All I'm saying is to the degree that we're dealing with the judiciary, you know, like, you know, Amy Barrett, remember her, right? Yeah, Um, Amy Coney Barrett. The dogma dogma lives loudly within her, Jerry. Exactly. (laughs) Why wasn't she put forward? Um, Well, one of the reasons was because she's pretty religious and people would make fun of it and it's weird. Give me somebody who's religious enough that people think it's weird because I'm tired of people who mm-hmm. aren't religious enough to seem weird enough that the yep. Democrats vote for them. And then, you know what, they go in there and they say, Roe versus Wade is settled law. I, that's, I'm a conservative and that's, it's conservative to uphold a tradition that had no constitutional basis whatsoever. And now I'm going to go down through history as an institutionalist who kept the court from falling to the extremists. I'm mm-hmm. sorry. I think we need a little more weird in the nominees. Um, and you know what? The left is going to vote against us no matter who we put forward. So they froth a little more. uh, That's up to them. But, yes, we need to take it. We need the legislature needs to deal with it. For instance, I mean, how many people know that the Constitution actually gives the Congress the authority to limit the jurisdiction of the Supreme Court? I mean, it's in there in the text of the Constitution. They've never done it. But the United States Congress can determine that certain areas are outside of the jurisdiction of the court. The United States Jerry, Congress. Jerry, I'm sorry, I got to close can... you down just for time reasons. We got to get to a break. Jerry Boris sorry. with us, editor of Town Hall Finance. And by the way, I never knew that what Jerry just said, but yeah. I never knew that. Very Jerry, now tell me, what is this crazy thing you're telling me that in the Constitution there is a provision that the legislature is allowed to censure the judiciary? No, not censure. I mean, they, actually, they can censure, but that's not what I'm talking about. You can always censure a judge and you can remove judges. But no, but they actually have the ability to limit their jurisdiction. They determine the jurisdiction of the court. Never been used. I can send you the language if you want. I can email it what over is that? to yeah, you. What, what does that mean? Three. They can censure say, their jurisdiction. Um, uh, uh, or to they, establish their jurisdiction. What, what does that mean? They limit. The, um, what mm-hmm. they can do is they can say there are certain subjects that you don't have jurisdiction over. Uh. Um, Now, there is a list of things that they can't do that to. Um, So there are certain things like lawsuits between states, wherever. Um, So there's a list of two or three items that they that that the Supreme Court automatically has jurisdiction over. Um, so like suing the the federal government or something like that. But apart from that short list, I think there's also something with um, ambassadors. But apart from that short list, Congress can say something like 
reproductive choice is not one of your areas of jurisdiction uh, any longer. And that's it. It isn't. They could set up a different court to deal with it. I don't think people realize the Congress created the Supreme Court. Um, we do have Supreme Court mentioned in the Constitution, but all the details are congressional. So in some sense, the court is under the Congress constitutionally. Yes, we have a separation of power, but they're not all equal. Um, the founders generally thought that Congress is the, is, is the ultimate branch and should have the most authority. So, for instance, they, they can approve appointees or not. The president can't choose all his own appointees. It has to go. He, has, he needs the advice and consent of the Senate. Um, and they set the jurisdiction of the court, how many members, terms and uh, other things. So Congress actually has a great deal of authority over this issue that they never use. Hmm. Now, of course, the purpose in that uh, initially was the fact that the legislature is held accountable to the, by the people. Right now. So if yeah. us, you know, the, the, as you've always said, if I as the boss, since I'm the voter, don't hold the person I have voted for who represents me accountable, then the system has broken down already. Yes. And we don't. And it is. Mm-hmm. How do we fix it, Jerry? We uh, we take responsibility. We bear the responsibility that we have as Christians in the world. Uh, a whole lot less griping would be really helpful um, and take some of that energy and put it into things which are constructive. You know, Romans 8 says that the creation groans and travails awaiting the revelation of the sons of God. Now, I'm not saying that they're waiting for us to vote, although that's part of it. That is part of what it is to be a son of God, a Mm -hmm. child of God. Don't get caught up up on gender. Son in the Bible means heir. It doesn't mean men and women are sons of God to the degree that they're heirs. Uh, Just like bride, you know, I'm a man, but I'm part of the bride of Christ. So these are functions. These are roles biblically. Um, We're supposed to be sons. What does it mean to be a son of God? It means to bear the burden of exercising responsibility so that you can inherit what God has for you. And what God has for us is for us to exercise dominion over the earth, for us to be the governors of the earth, to rule in his name, um, in his stead, the way he would. And that means taking responsibility for the things that are in your life. And so it means vote. It means voting proxies. It means talking to people in your life. Like if there's something going on that's not right, You speak up. You don't speak up in a toxic way, but you don't be afraid to have people hate you or make fun of you. You're willing. Now, don't give them a reason to hate you or make fun of you other than the fact that you're standing up for God. Don't make you the problem. You know, it's it's, it's not blessed when men shall revile you and hate you and say all manner of evil things against you falsely because you act like a jerk. Uh, rejoice and be exceedingly glad. It's when that happens for my sake. So it means being willing to, you know, stand up to the culture. It means being able to speak the truth. It means being distinctive as a Christian, not getting completely sucked into your political alignment, which for most of us is conservative republicanism. So it means we don't get sucked into that so that whatever Trump says is good and whatever his enemies say is bad. Uh, it means having, it means having really having Jesus as our Lord and maybe Trump or whoever is just another one of his servants um, who sometimes measures up and sometimes doesn't, uh, and it means um, being responsible, um, and it means being informed, it means being grounded yourself and helping to ground other people, and it means being willing to take the slings and arrows that come from that. Very good. That's Jerry Boyer, editor of Town Hall Finance. I don't know, Jerry, this, uh, this all sounds like we're going to have to take uh, more responsibility and complain a lot less. Oh, man, we'll take that. Jerry, always a pleasure. Thank you for your intelligence, your wisdom, your humor, all those things for being a friend of our show. We greatly appreciate your time here with us. 
and for yours. God bless you both. Jerry Boyer, you can find him easily online on Facebook where he posts regularly. Look at Town Hall Finance as well. Thanks for listening to Christian Outlook. Our program is coming to you today in partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. It's America's most unique graduate leadership programs offered on Pepperdine's breathtaking campus in Malibu, California. Learn more at publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. If you enjoy our podcast, take a moment and tell a friend to subscribe today. This is Owen Strand for townhall.com. Irving Kristol famously defined a neoconservative as a liberal who has been mugged by reality. Philosophical commitments crumble when the hardness of everyday life in a fallen world intrudes. Recently, a couple in St. Louis made headlines when they brandished guns against a mob that broke the gate to their private community. Such instances reveal an ironic cultural moment in which talking heads and moralizing activists tell us it is bad for the police to defend us even as they menace public property, cops, and even peaceful citizens. Law enforcement is not perfect, and every institution must be accountable to the people. Yet we cannot miss today that too often the same people who are telling us the cops are bad are the people who want to do bad things. Here's expecting many around us today to be mugged by reality, to watch their ideas give way before hard truths and human depravity. I'm Owen Strand. ADF, fighting for those whose religious freedom is being violated. Click on the banner at townhallreview.com. 